Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. And you can turn, I'm going to be in several passages this morning. Mark chapter 10 is where I'm going to start. Um, in Mark 10, I'll probably also jump over to Galatians 5, I think Romans 7 and 1 Peter 4. So we'll, we'll be in several different places, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 10. As always, they'll have the scripture up there for you, but I encourage you to look in a copy of God's Word for yourself, whether that's electronic or otherwise. Last week we were talking about connecting, connect with one another, this whole idea of being a body. And I told you then that we were going to spend the next several weeks, and we probably will, the next seven or eight weeks, looking at what the scripture says when it tells us how to do that. How do we connect? with one another how do we be this thing called the body and it, we find this in the thing that's often called the one another's in scripture and there are quite a few of them but we're going to continue on as we've been talking for the last several weeks but really very specifically over the next seven or eight as we look at ways that we're connecting with one another we're going to look at some of these other one another's and how they fit into that now each week i want to do three things I want to tell you what it is that Jesus is calling us to do. Why he's doing that and how we do it. And each week we're going to try to accomplish those three things as we talk about it. This week we're going to talk about serve one another. So this morning we want to try to answer those three questions. What is it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? Before I get into all of it, I want to tell you one of the things that is a both a joy and a burden to me. Um, burden may be too strong a word, but I don't think it is. Um, it's a joy to me when I see what God is doing. I see all of the ways that God is uh, multiplying and increasing, and whether in people and in relationship and in ministry and, and all of those things. It's an encouragement to me. But there's also a concern that I have that goes along with it. And that concern is, is that if we're not careful, the American church seems to have a way of getting bigger. And as they do, we tend to get maybe better organized and better planned and better structured um, and better with the mechanics, but often losing the heart of the message in all the mechanics. That's a burden for me. I don't know why God made me that way, but he did. And so it's all. So if you ever talk to me about something and feel like maybe I'm not as receptive or as excited as you think I should be, it's usually that battle that's going on with me. Where do we need to be, obviously, orderly and planning and structure and and all? You know, people often say, you know, what's your what's your one year plan and your five year plan and your ten year plan? And I have a plan just to hear Jesus today and then hopefully do it again tomorrow. And and yeah, we do make some plans and we do some things, but. I heard Jim Sibyla say at one time, it's, it's kind of a scary thing to try to plan something that doesn't belong to you, and this doesn't belong to me. Um, and so, I'm always wrestling with that. Sometimes, if we're not careful, church become, we, we develop in church more of a cruise ship mentality than a battleship mentality. I, I went on a cruise with Lori on our first anniversary. We didn't have kids or anything. 
And I have to say that there were parts of that that were really nice. And there are parts of it that's not me. First of all, I don't really want to be on a tin can in the ocean. I just, that's not really my idea of, um, I mean, it's just not my idea of fun. Um, with, you know, 3,000 people, I do not know. And, and so, again, we've talked about this, introverts and extroverts and all. That is not my, I'm not naturally geared toward people. Now, you put Paul there, he'd know everybody on the boat before he was done and shared the gospel with half of them. All right, but I'm not that way. I just soon stay in my cabin and away from all those people, or out on the deck and by myself. But you can't really do that with three thousand people, and so it's not necessarily my favorite thing. But there were certain parts of it that I that I did enjoy. First of all, you got food basically twenty four seven. Anytime you want to eat, they got food and it's good food. I never made it to the midnight buffet because I went to sleep too early every night. But I, you know, I heard it was great, and. Um, and so you, you've got things like that. You, you really, you don't do, once you show up, you don't do it. I mean, they take your bags and they put them where they go. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about them. They just show up there. Matter of fact, I, I'm told if people fly in, and we didn't fly in for our cruise because we're right here, but people fly in, they get, a, they get your bags at the airport, deliver them to your room. I mean, you don't have to do anything with it. I mean, they, they just serve you. They take care of you. They, you know, they've got everything you can imagine. They're there to try to serve you, take care of you. You're just there to, Basically, float and eat and relax and do whatever you want to do and be served. That's nice sometimes. That's nice for a vacation. But that's not the calling of life. That's certainly not the calling of the church. This isn't a cruise ship. It's a battleship. Um, back in 1985-86, I can't remember exactly when, and I think there's a picture um, of it, of a ship. It is. USS Mobile. Mobile Bay, I had the opportunity with my dad to go on sea trials on this ship. And um, my dad uh, built surface warships. He spent 41 years of his life building surface warships. Well, uh, some submarines too, but mainly surface warships in his career. And so I grew up around this sort of thing. And, and back in, it was 85 or 86, I can't remember exactly which year, I had the opportunity to go with him. And there was a lot of neat things, you know, to go in command center and I got to play with the you know, the deal where you're targeting and it tells you what it is. I mean, there's a lot of neat stuff on there and they're sh shooting the guns and lots of things and, and just the maneuvers that they put the ship through. But I remember when I first got on board, Dad took me and we went to where we were going to be staying in the stateroom where he and I would be sharing. And I remember walking in, I go, Dad, this is kind of poor accommodations here, isn't it? And uh, he looked at me and he didn't say a word. My dad, way wiser than I am. Uh, he's way wiser then than I am now. But uh, he didn't say a word. He said, come with me. Put your stuff down and come with me. And he walked me down to crew quarters. He, he walked me downstairs because he and I were staying in an officer's stateroom, the two of us sharing it. Now, it's not plush, but it's plush compared to what the crew was doing, you know, where they got four bunks stacked on top of each other and crammed down in there. And he said, you think you've got it tough. And, and I remember thinking, and the two or three days I spent on that ship, I remember looking at everybody had a job. Everybody knew their job. Everybody had a place. It wasn't optional whether you showed up at your place. Um, it wasn't, well, I don't feel like it today. Everybody had to do their thing when it was necessary to do it because that ship was designed for one purpose, to be at war. And whether they were at war in that moment or not, they had to be prepared to be at war all the time. Folks, whether we know it or not, whether we sense that we're in the battle at this very moment, we are to be prepared to be at war all the time. We have an enemy. He's ferocious. 
and he's and he's not easily discouraged. He doesn't give up. He doesn't, even though he knows the end of the chapter, even the end of the book, even though he knows in the end, or at least it seems like he does, what's coming, he still doesn't give up. And so I want to be, I want to be on duty. I want to be, we call it the armed services. Isn't that an interesting term? The armed services. I want to be in the service. I want to be in the service of my master, my commander-in-chief, my king. We are, whether we know it or not, we're called to that. If you look with me in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 43. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, you know, out there among the world, um, those who are at the top, those who have a higher position, will, um, they get served. Everybody serves them. They don't serve others, they get served. And that's how that works. That's how the world system works. He's saying, I want to show you something different. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He's saying, I want to flip this thing on its head. That the guy who's on top really should be the greatest servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. He goes on, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Is Jesus on the top? Is he supreme? Is he, is he preeminent? Is he first? The answer to that question is yes. This is not a trick question. Yes, he is, right? And yet he says he's the servant. He serves. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So, Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to serve. If you look with me over in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 says it this way, For you were called to freedom, brothers, that word there, brothers, sisters, people. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. I love this because what the Holy Spirit is doing here is he's connecting the whole idea of freedom. Galatians 5.1, the beginning of that chapter says, For freedom, Christ set you free. So he's connecting the idea with, of freedom with service. And the fact that because you're free, you're now free to serve. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes when we talk about the why of all of this. But I want to start, first of all, and talk about the what. What is biblical serving? What is biblical servanthood? And I asked the Lord to help me with that definition, and he took me to a passage, and you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to necessarily read it. You can if you want, or, or you can jot it down. I didn't even give it to them on the back, so I don't know that they have this. But John chapter 6 is a passage where the Lord took me to when I was asking him to help me define what it means to serve. In John chapter 6, it's a very familiar story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus raises the question to Philip. He looks out and he sees all these people and they're out in a wilderness place. And he says, um, where can we buy enough food? The people have a need here. They're hungry and they're, away, they're way out from the city. And where can we buy food to feed them? How can we meet this need? Jesus asked Philip that. And the scripture goes on to say there that 
he asked him this, he asked Philip, Jesus asked Philip in order to test him, in order to prove him, if you will. Because Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. I want to remind you of something when you're facing a difficult situation. Jesus isn't bringing it up and asking the question so that you come up with the answer. He already knows what he wants to do. He already has the answer. He's not looking for you. I mean, goodness gracious. We love our children when they're babies, right? When they're little. We do, right? Don't we? Uh, okay, all right. I'm just making sure. All right. But I don't go to a toddler and ask him to solve my problems. Do I? Why would I do that? I wouldn't go to a toddler. Why would the God of the universe come to you and me to solve his problems? It would make it be like me asking a toddler to solve mine. He wouldn't do that. He already knows. If he asks me a question that seems like I've got to come up with an answer, it's because he's wanting to show me something more, but he's already got an answer. He already knows what he's planning on doing. So what, what's the purpose of this? Because you're thinking, well, Lord, if you already know what you're doing, why, why even include us? Why bother bringing it up? Why should we pray would be another way to say this. If God, if you already know what you're going to do, why don't we even bother praying? Because he wants you and me to be involved because there's something he's up to here. And I want to show you what he's up to is our understanding what servanthood is. Because he says, Philip, what can we do? And Philip says, if we spend a half a year's wages, we, it wouldn't be enough for everybody to get a bite. If we spend a half a year's wages, we might be able to buy enough, if we can find it, buy enough for everybody to get one bite. And Jesus said to him, he didn't even acknowledge what Philip said. He said, Philip, have them sit down. And the scripture says, and the, there was a lot of grass in that place. So God had already prepared a place for it, because that's not necessarily true everywhere you go in Israel. But in this place, wherever they happened to be, there was a lot of grass, the scripture says. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, I want you to serve the people, Philip. I want you to serve one another. And Philip said, okay, Lord, we're going to try to serve them, so we've got to figure out this problem. We've got to figure out how to meet the needs of all of these people. Jesus said, no, you don't. I'm not asking you to do that. Here's how I want you to serve them. I want you to have them sit down and get ready for me to meet their need. Do you want to know my definition of service? And I believe it's what God gave me from Scripture. A servant is one who is willing to submit to the voice of Jesus to be used by him to bring other people to a place where they can receive from Jesus. That's who a servant is. A servant is one who's willing to submit himself to the voice of Jesus in order to be used by Jesus to bring other people to a place where they can receive from Jesus. The scripture says that they were seated and Andrew gets into the picture and he says, Lord, we don't have anything except there's this little boy here. He's got his lunch. He's got two little fish and five barley loaves, two little rolls, little biscuits. Maybe they were like the throat rolls, you know, there at Lambert's. I don't know. Anybody ever been to Lambert's in, in Missouri? Maybe they were like, the, I don't know. Probably not because I don't think they had a lot of yeast. But anyway, um, but he had little rolls. Uh, Tony Evans calls it sardines and crackers. I don't know. Um, something, but it wasn't much, especially for all these people. 
And Jesus took that and he blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples for them to distribute, for them to minister to the people, to serve the people. Now, did the disciples do anything? No. Did they provide anything? No. Did they perform a miracle? No. What did they do? They simply listened to Jesus' voice when he said, have the people sit down. And then when Jesus blessed and multiplied, they just gave it out. They just handed it out. That's all they did. Do you want to know what real servanthood is for you and me? It's doing that very thing. It's being willing to hear his voice when he brings someone into our life and say, you know what? I want to help do whatever I can so that you're in a position where you can receive from Jesus. So you can receive what he wants to give you. Now, there's a part of this story that I had never seen before. As many times as I've read it, as many times as I've heard it, there, there's something new. God always shows you things that you've never seen before. Scripture says that it was distributed to everyone who was seated. Do you see that in your Bible? Everyone who was seated, it was given out to. Those who were sitting. What does that mean? That means if you were standing on the sidelines looking in, you didn't eat that day. You didn't receive. Folks, when it comes to Jesus, there are two kinds of folks, those who receive and those who don't. And those who don't, it's not because he doesn't want to give. It's not because he doesn't have enough to give. It's often because I'm standing on the sideline looking and trying to decide whether I really want to sit, whether I really want to enter in, whether I really want to listen and obey. I saw a sign as I was traveling this week. It was an interesting sign, I think a good sign. It says that obedience is the fruit of salvation, not the root. Obedience is the fruit, not the root. That's true. We aren't saved because we obey perfectly, because we do the right thing all the time. We aren't followers of Jesus because we always get it right, because we don't. We're saved simply by His grace, and we believe and trust in that. But that salvation then produces a fruit. That fruit is obedience. A willingness to say, Lord, I will believe you and trust you. I'll sit down when you tell me to sit down. If he told them to run around the lake, I'm sure some of them would have tried it. Lord, whatever you tell me, I'll do. Because when I do what Jesus says, then I'm in a place to receive what he gives. If I want to do it on my own terms, standing over here on the side, I'll just stand over here. I'll get mine. I'm just going to do it from over here. The scripture doesn't read that way. The scripture says the ones who were fed that day were seated. Servants are used by the Lord to help people get into that position where they can receive. That's, I look at that as my job on a daily basis when I talk to people and they come to me and they're like, I've got this issue and I've got this problem and I've got this question and, and I realize I don't have the answers for you. I don't have bread. I'm like, Philip, Lord, if I got everything I owned and all the wisdom I possess, it wouldn't be even enough for a bite for where they are. I don't have it. 
And the Lord says, I never ask you to have it. I want you to, to just be willing to help get them into a place where they'll receive from me. That's your calling. That's servanthood. He's calling all of us to that. To bring people to a place where they'll receive. That's what it is. Why do we do it? Jesus said we do it because he did it. In fact, John 13, he washes their feet. And he says, if, I, if you call me master, and you do, you call me master, and you should, but if I wash your feet, how much more should you wash one another's feet? Now, the whole point here wasn't just to go around washing people's feet. What he was saying is, I want you to follow the attitude and the demonstration that I give for you, which is humble yourself, even though you may be considered here, I want you to be willing to humble yourself and to minister to people the way that I ask you to minister to them. To serve them in that way. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Galatians 5.1 says, 5.13 says, don't use your freedom. Don't take your liberty and use it for the, for the flesh. Use it as an opportunity to serve. I want, I want to tell you something that's going to hinder your service if, if you don't address it. Because it hinders mine. And why freedom is necessary for servanthood. Every one of us deal with this problem. Every one of us. If you tell me you don't, I'll believe you, but not really. Okay? I have a hard time serving people I think don't deserve it. Anybody else in the same boat? That's why you have to have freedom. That's why freedom and service go together. Why is this so vitally important? Because in order to be able to serve, to be this kind of servant, to be directed to hear Jesus' voice and serve people, to bring them to a place where they can receive, I have to believe this fundamental truth that Jesus not only died for all of my sin, that he died and he paid for it and he took, and he remembers it no more. It is as far as the east is from the west. I have to believe that for me, but I also have to believe it for you. And sometimes that's harder. I have to believe that whatever you've done that I think is so horrible or, how, or has hurt or keeps on hurting, that not only did Jesus do this for me, but he also did it for you. And when I see people that way, when the Holy Spirit's working freedom in my life, then I don't sit and judge and say, you know what, you don't deserve to be served. I'll serve someone else who's more worthy. James addressed that in James chapter 2. He said, you look on the outside and you think this person's more worthy because of their status. And you think this person is less worthy. And so you bring the one you think is more worthy and you give them the, the great seats and you kick the other ones out and say, you need to go on to the back. And he said, that's evil. It's evil. Why? Because we're judging. Because we're deciding who deserves to be served and who doesn't. I don't have the ability or the authority to do that. That's why freedom is so vitally important. You and I have to keep coming back to this fundamental truth.
that Jesus served us when we did not. Not only were we not for him, the scripture says we were against him. We were his enemies. While we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, he died for us. He served us. He gave his life as a ransom for us, which is exactly what he said in Mark chapter 10 where we started. He said, I want you to serve this way because the Son of Man came and serves this way. How did he do it? He gave his life as a ransom for many. Some of you are hearing me right now and you're thinking about your own situation and you're thinking, and some of you are going to catch me after the service and you're going to tell me this long story about your situation, why you think you're the exception to the rule. And I'm going to tell you what I tell everybody who comes to me. That is a good story. And I get your point. And if I were God, I wouldn't tell you to serve that person either. Matter of fact, I'd tell you to shoot them, not serve them. All right? If that was who I, if I was God, but I'm not God. I'm not. And you should be thankful I am not. So all I'm going to tell you is exactly where we started you need to get before jesus you need to get to a place where you can receive from him and hear what he tells you hear what he tells you i also want to make another clarification because i get this asked a lot when i share like this people will come and say well i'm in a i'm in a situation where there's actual sin that's taking place or there is damage that's being done and I believe that there is appropriate way and, and there, is, there should be a way that you don't necessarily have to stay in that sinful, damaging interaction, relationship in that way. So let me make that clear. If someone came to me and they were being, let's use for example, a woman came to me and she's being abused in her home. She... There is this responsibility, biblically, to love, to forgive, to serve. All that's true, but that doesn't mean I would encourage her to stay in that damaging, sinful place. We would find a safe place, but that doesn't change the command that the Lord says, I still want you to love, I still want you to serve, I still want you to forgive. We just have to find the appropriate way that Jesus wants us to do that. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? I want to make that abundantly clear. That's, that's the, I mean, that's the exclamation point on that, on that point. All right. It's really important that you understand it because I get this question often because I don't know all the situations and you're hearing me and you're hearing what I'm saying and everybody's interpreting it differently. And I get that. And I can't talk to you all individually and explain it all. So let me make that clear that this is true. I'm not saying that we have to stay in damaging places, sinful places, harmful, hurtful places. I think that there's a place where God says, I want to protect you, and I, and I have means and ways to do that. At the same time, some of the hurt, greatest hurts aren't outward and physical. Sometimes they're internal. Matter of fact, many times they're internal. And sometimes you can't get away from what's going on inside. So you're going to have to come to a place where Jesus meets that need for you. There's no other answer. There's no other hope but Him. And you can run to the ends of the earth, but when you get there, you'll still be there. And you'll still have whatever that is inside that has to be brought to His feet. You have to sit down and say, Jesus, I need to receive from you.
we, we talked about what it is. It's, it's submitting to Jesus' voice in order to be used by him to help people come to a place where they can receive from him. That's servanthood. We do it because Jesus told us to do it and because he modeled it for us. And because he saved us, he set us free for it. He gives us free. I mean, that's amazing to me to think about. He gave me freedom for the very purpose that I might be free to serve. And I can tell you, the more he makes me free, the easier service becomes. Now, how do we do it? Would you look at two passages with me? Romans 7, to begin with. Romans 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way. The new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The Holy Spirit's saying, here's the first thing I want you to know about service. Don't do it out of duty. Um, don't post it you know, on the wall or in a book or on, the web, on your webpage or whatever and say, here, we serve here, 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 and here. This is how we do this. Now, I'm not saying you can't list ways of service. I'm saying don't do this as a traditional thing. I'm going to do these, these, this, 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 and this, and I'm good with God. And I'm a servant. He's saying, I've got a new way for you. I want the Spirit to lead you in your service. I don't want you to do it by some written code, which, by the way, they couldn't live up to anyway. And that's our problem. Even if we write out a code, we're not going to live up to it. He says, I want you to minister, I want you to serve by the leading of the Holy Spirit within you. So that he says, go serve over here. Go serve over here. You see that person? Here's what I want you to do for them. You do it by the power of the Spirit. Not by deciding, here's how I, here's how I want to serve. Anybody ever wanted to serve you in a way you didn't want to be served? Anybody ever had that experience? They're trying to give you something you don't want. Yeah? I think that's part of what he's saying here. He's saying, don't do that. Just because you think it's a good idea doesn't mean that's what I want to do in that situation. Let the Spirit lead you in how you're going to serve. You say, how do I do that? You just ask Him every day. Holy Spirit, show me where you want me to serve today and who you want me to serve. And how that, what that's supposed to look like. How do I bring them into a place where they can receive from you? I've been going through this just recently with my own family. I've got all kinds of ideas of how I should be serving, how I should be responding in a particular situation. And the Holy Spirit keeps saying, I don't want you to do any of that. I want you to take and create an atmosphere so this person can receive from me. That's, all, that's your only job in this. Create an atmosphere so that they can receive from me. Because you can't help them. Do you understand that? You and I can't help anybody. We cannot help them. You say, oh, Troy, I can do it. No, you can't. Because even our help sometimes hurts. Often hurts when we're trying to help. Jesus is the one who helps people. Now, he wants to use, for whatever reason, and I don't, again, I'm not God, so I don't understand this. Why he wants to involve you and me in the process, I do not know. It seems to me he could have picked better. But he didn't. He picked us. He said, I want you. I want to use you in this process. 
But you've got to remember, I'm the one who's doing the work. I'm making the provision. I'm, the, I'm what they need, not you. That also will help keep you in the appropriate place as far as humility is concerned because you won't think more highly of yourself than you should. Because people begin to tell you how wonderful you are. You know, you do this so well, you do this so well, and the Lord reminds you, you are nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I simply used you, and I want to keep on doing that. Look at this other verse with me. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, received it from who? Who gave this gift? The scripture makes it really clear. This comes from God. In fact, according to Romans and 1 Corinthians, we receive it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love this. First of all, it makes it clear that God gives the gifts. He gives whatever gifts that you and I have. So let's make this practical. If I want to be a servant, then I'm looking to say, okay, God, what have you given me? What gifts have you given to me that you want to use in different ways to be a, a blessing to people around me, to serve them? So if he's given you a gift in teaching, that may be one of the ways that you create an atmosphere where people are, they come into a position where they can actually receive something from the Lord. It's not because you're a great teacher. It's not because you're so awesome in your insights. It's not because you're all that. It's simply a gift that the Holy Spirit gives. And he says, I give this to you so that you can create an atmosphere so people can come in and receive something from me. Maybe your gift, you have a gift of helps. Scripture talks about that. I don't even know what all that means. It just means you help. Maybe the way you help is you fix a mean chicken noodle soup. I don't know. But I tell you what, I've been blessed in my life by a great bowl of chicken noodle soup at the right time. Maybe God's given you culinary gifts. And he says, I want you to use these gifts to create an atmosphere so people can receive. It's not about you being a great chef or a great cook or preparing elaborate meals. It's simply a gift that I gave you, and it's a way that you can use it to create an atmosphere so people can receive something from me. Someone came to me recently. They said, Pastor, I want to do something. I want to, I want to serve. I want to be serving the body somehow, but I don't know how. And I said, well, how have you served in the past in other places? So, well, I've done a lot of children's ministry, but I've had some recent illness and things, which has left me weak. And so I said, well, children's ministry is probably not the place if you're experiencing weakness um, to go serve. Um, I'm not sure you should go in there when you're strong, much less when you're weak. <laughs> All right. So um, what else? And I said, what is it that stirs, that just excites you? There's, it gives you joy. So you know what I love to do? I, they, they're telling me, I love to pray for people and then write little notes that tell them what God gave me to pray for them, whether it was a verse or a word or a song or whatever, and just write little notes. I said, I said that's a gift. Because I don't like to do that. <laughs> I don't have that gift. You do. So let's hook you up. You pray for people, and we can take people on our prayer list. You pray for them. Write little notes. We'll make sure they get those notes. You minister to them. You serve them that way. You say, what difference does that make? Have you ever received a note from a person when you thought you could not go one step further, and that note shows up? How many have been there? 
you were served by someone who listened, who submitted to Jesus' voice, and they led you to a place where you could receive something from him. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge in our estimation. It just has to be led by him. We just submit to him and say, Lord, I'll do this. Now, here's the other thing, and this is vital. And I'm going to ask the team to come up while I share this with you. Jesus died. I believe this. I believe this based on Scripture. I know there's some theological difference. Sometimes people may not believe this. I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. I believe that. Sometimes other believers... Theology, there, you know, there's limited things and, and all that. I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world based on what my understanding of Scripture. All right? Does everybody get saved? Does everybody in the world get saved? But Jesus died for all their sins. But they don't appreciate it or receive it, right? At least it appears, as we see it, it appears that way. I, I give room for the fact there's things we don't see. But as we see it, it appears that way. Does it make his service and sacrifice any less valuable? No. You say, Troy, is there a point to this? Yes. There are going to be times where Jesus is going to call you to serve and to bring people to a place where they can receive from him and they either will not want it or they won't be grateful for it when you give it. And you got to be okay with that. The reason I talk to many people who don't serve anymore is because they got hurt serving before. And you know what? It's easier just to put a wall up and say, I don't want to go there. It's too painful. I don't want to go there. Can I tell you something? This is not very encouraging, but it is true. You'll probably get hurt again. You'll get rejected again. You're going to give to people who don't appreciate it or who are ungrateful. It will probably happen again. Can I tell you something else? When I receive my reward and my approval from Jesus and Him alone, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because really all I want to hear when it's all said and done is, well done. Well done, good and faithful. Well done. You did what I asked. Well done. I want you to bow your heads with me. The calling today, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the calling today is clear, and that is to be a servant. Serve one another. Don't do it for recognition. Don't do it for praise. Don't do it because it'll produce a certain result, because you have no guarantee of the result. You do it simply because Jesus said, I designed you for it. I've called you to it. I did it. And if you're in me, if you're abiding in me, you will be a servant. Which begs the question, if I'm not serving, it may mean I'm not abiding. I'm not walking with him. Because he says, this is who I am. 
And if you're growing, if, you, if you're being transformed more and more into my image, you should look more and more like me. So right now, this morning, would you say, Lord Jesus, I agree with you that you have made me to be a servant and I surrender to you to be that. Regardless of the results, regardless of whether it's appreciated or not, I surrender to you. And Lord, I'm yielding myself and I need your Holy Spirit to show me who, where, and how. Every day, show me. He will if you ask him. And you start every day that way. Lord, I'm yours. Here I am. I present myself. I'm your servant. Where do you want me to serve today? Because, Lord, I'm not on a cruise ship. I'm on a battleship. when they see God's children serving this way. Anytime you ever see it, it's amazing. I'm amazed every time I see it. I'm not saying that you don't serve already. I'm not, I'm not being critical here and, and saying we're not doing this. I'm simply saying I believe God's calling us to more. We sang it more or we want more. He's calling us to more. challenge you in one more way before we close this morning if something we've talked about this morning if the Holy Spirit's brought conviction and said you know you, you didn't do that that way you kind of messed that up then the enemy likes to come in when the Holy Spirit points that out to us and shines light on it the enemy likes to come in and say you have messed up too bad you're a royal screw up and there's no hope for you that's a lie. If God only used people who didn't mess up, he wouldn't have anybody to use. So don't believe that lie this morning. You simply acknowledge the truth. Yeah, Lord, I agree with you. I messed up. So I'm surrendering again. Empower me to be your servant. It won't be the only time you pray that prayer, I promise you. I pray it almost every day. Lord, I messed up, but empower me again to be your servant. Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here. I pray that we would discover what we were made for. We discover the joy of what it means to be led by you to serve people. not on our own terms, not the way we want, but the way you direct. Lord, I pray for those who've been hurt while serving. They've had people who have been, well, less than loving or gracious in their response. Lord, I pray that you bring healing to hearts today, that you'd speak. 
Lord, I pray we'd let go of our hurt. We would no longer hold on to the pain. It doesn't do us any good anyway. We'd let it go. We'd receive from you what you want to give. Because, Lord, you want to feed us today abundantly, so much so that there's, there's food left over. They took up 12 baskets of leftovers. So, Lord, today we come to you declaring we want to be your servant. We want to hear you. We submit to you regardless of the results, regardless of how others respond, just to hear you say, well done. And Lord, where we've messed up, where I've messed up, I acknowledge it. Where I've not been a good servant, I acknowledge it. When I thought people didn't deserve it and so I wouldn't serve, Lord, I confess that to you. I acknowledge it. And Lord, I believe you today. I believe it when you say that you died for all our sin. You paid for it all. That we are free in you. We are no longer in bondage. So we are now free to serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old letter of the law. Teach us, Lord, what that means. Because we don't know. All we know is the law. That's all we know. It makes sense. It's natural. We don't understand the way of the Spirit. We don't understand this, this new thing that you're doing. But you want to teach us. You want to show us. And we want to know. We want to learn. So do your work, Jesus, in us. We surrender to that. In Jesus' name we pray.